Combo Nation, what up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 146, that's right, episode 146 of Combos Court. Hope everyone's staying safe out there, practice social distancing, wash your hands. We're gonna get through this thing together, man. Leave a five-star rating and a friendly comment right on your Apple Podcast at rate and review wherever you listen to Combos Court and share this episode with a friend, man. Um, like you all, I have a little bit of time on my hands, so my DMs are open if you need anything. I'll do my best to answer everyone's questions, whether it be about basketball, life, working on your game, NBA topics. I'll send you the latest episodes of Combos Court if you need that. Whatever you want, man, shoot me a DM at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. I will do my best to answer everyone's messages. Today's show, Mark Medina of USA Today joins in. Mark is tremendously knowledgeable, has been covering the NBA for a long time. We discuss the coronavirus's effect on the NBA, our players getting paid, the current Brooklyn Nets situation. I also asked Mark if he's optimistic that the NBA season will return from its hiatus. We also discuss Mark's personal selections for the NBA regular season awards. Had a great conversation with Mark and I think it'll bring you tremendous value. Can't wait for you guys to listen in. You could find Mark on Twitter at Mark G underscore Medina. That's M-A-R-K-G underscore M-E-D-I-N-A. As I stated before, you could find me on Instagram at one two combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's Get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. Mark Medina, USA Today. Welcome to Combo's Court. How you feeling? Oh, man, I'm hanging in there. It's been a whirlwind um, just with this whole coronavirus outbreak and what it's meant to the NBA and suspending the season. And the new normal is working from home on the phone, but also just keeping in perspective, my friend, that, you know, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm in good health and, and still working. So that's all you can ask for in these uh, uncertain times. Right. Well, you're in media, which you could still work while you're in media. So that's definitely a blessing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, nothing ever replaces going to the games and practices, but you know, I'm certainly busy at my home office on the phone uh, with all these fluid developments and I'm also just trying to put together some good stories here. Right. All right. So Mark, four of the Nets tested positive for Corona. One of them being KD. I know really nobody has any idea, but if you had to guess, are you optimistic at all about this NBA season returning? Um, I'm not. And I say that even a day after I talked with Michelle Roberts, the executive director of the NBA Players Union, and, and you know, she was adamant that, look, she and, and Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, they're still having talks about finding different ways to have some sort of season, whether it's a compromised regular season and then the playoffs or just the playoffs entirely. So I do want to make it clear that that is not off the table as of yet, but I'm just looking at the nature of this virus and the fact that, you know, Michelle Roberts is one of many people that are, you know, acknowledging the obvious that there's going to be a lot more positive 
ESO. When I'm just looking at that and the fact that the CDC had already recommended this week for there not to be any large gatherings of at least 50 people for the next two months, right? Kind of put two and two together, and, and I'm I would be very surprised if there's any NBA season. But you know, uh, all these parties are trying to figure out ways how to make this work without compromising, uh, you know, the health of the players and the team staffers, the fans, everyone involved. Most definitely um, health first, but any intel on how the Lakers will proceed because they were the last team to play against the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, well, you know, things are very fluid. So maybe by the time listeners are hearing this, there's a new development, but the Lakers are planning to get tests for their players um, because of the fact that the Brooklyn Nets played them in L.A. on March 10th, the day before uh, Utah Jazz Center Rudy Gobert was tested positive for the coronavirus. So I think, you know, really this has become, you know, a really twisted version of the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon where you, yeah. know, you hear about an incident of uh, someone being tested positive and you think, okay, well, when was the last time I was within proximity of those people? And the thing that has really gotten me uh, shook a little bit is um, even though we don't know the other three players as of yet with the Nets, um, Kevin Durant was with the team on the bench uh, during that game. You know, obviously yes. he's been sidelined with his Achilles injury all season, but this was one of the very few games that he was with the team behind the scenes. And, you know, he was sitting next to DeAndre Jordan. He was interacting with his teammates during timeouts. I know late in the game, there were times that he was, you know, high-fiving Spencer Dinwiddie and, you know, pulling Karis LeVert to the side. So, you know, when I heard the news about Kevin, uh, my mind immediately raced to that and just trying to retrace that whole evening. And it, it was very surreal, to say the least. Do you feel Rudy's legacy will always be linked to coronavirus, no matter what he does for the rest of his career on the court? Uh I mean, legacy, sure. I mean, it's going to be part of his biography now, yeah. how people are viewing that. Um, I, I think that's going to evolve. I know in the immediate aftermath, obviously, there was a lot of reaction. And, and it's all fair of, you know, some of his behavior before that of, you know, him touching all the microphones and the tape recorders and being kind of playful and making a joke about this serious situation. Yeah. But I know talking, you know, with Michelle Robertson since then, just looking at it with a broader lens is that the reality is who knows how he got the virus, number one, and who knows how it could be spread. Right. Now, obviously, the fact that he is playing with a lot of players on the court and they're, you know, high-fiving each other they're, uh, and they're in close proximity, um, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to think, okay, well, how did Don Mitchell get it? But you know, I think that there's going to be kind of a, a more of a bigger picture perspective where, you know, he's certainly not blameless for maybe not taking it seriously, but he has been contrite since then. And I think as we've, you know, learned more and more about the nature of the coronavirus, you know, how, how it can get transmitted is, is really anyone's guess beyond the obvious that, you know, when you're in close proximity of people, that, that increases the likelihood. So I think if anything else, in a weird way, you know, he will also be credited for maybe being the face of this and really causing the NBA to be the first major institution to take a stand and say, hey, look, we're going to shut business operations until further notice to prevent this from getting even worse. Right. And I saw media outlets were 
reporting this when Donovan tested positive. They were saying Donovan Mitchell was the second to contract the coronavirus in the NBA, which that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, second to be tested positive. I think some outlets weren't reporting it that way, though. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, I'm yeah. with you here. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm with you here. And then that's, you know, I, I think that's the point that Michelle made to me when I talked with her yesterday, and also that she's talked with that, look, uh, no one wants to hear that, hey, another player was tested positive and it only increases the worries. But, you know, I think in her mind, it's almost like, well, this is inevitable. Like, this is what's going to happen. Um, so it's almost, in a way, not just the NBA, but society at large. We're now playing catch up with everything because we're so far behind. So the idea is trying to contain it from even getting worse. But because of, again, that analogy of the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, like people are going to get tested more whether they feel symptoms or they feel the need to um and i i know that the nba there there is some scrutiny of you know why are certain players getting tested when the general public can and look that is a very uh very fair thing to ask but i think at the same time a lot of teams have have been mindful of that uh that they don't want to take away tests from someone who might need it but at the end of the day if these players either feel symptoms or concern that they were in close proximity uh, with these guys, they should get tested because, you know, they, they have more of the means of spraying even more than the, the common person because they're in contact with so many more people throughout, you know, their day to day that if anything, it, it should increase the likelihood, but I know I'm getting tested, but I know, you know, teams like the Warriors, they were, they're among many that have been very sensitive to this, that, you know, they've, they've kept the policy that until a player reports feeling symptoms, or there is a reason to think that someone on the, or in the organization has it, they're going to abstain from getting tests. So it doesn't deprive anyone else that might need it more from getting it. Mark, what is your understanding of how the players are getting paid as of now? Well, they're still getting paid. Um, you know, they are they are under contract. Um, you know, there there is a, a clause in this in the collective bargaining agreement uh, that is fairly typical for a lot of contracts. That you know, if there's a a cat, catastrophe, you know, kind of an act of God, so to speak, that you know, player owners could avoid having to honor the terms of that contract. And you know, I asked. Michelle Roberts about that point yesterday and you know she acknowledged that it's in the contract and that's something that that could be something down the line but right now you know according to her you know they're not talking about those clauses and the force majeure so to speak uh, because you know right now what they're trying to do is one just get information so she can pass it along to the players so that are fully informed of what's going on and the latest intel from the league. But also the, the league and the players union are, are still operating under the interest of, hey, there is a chance that some version of the season can be salvaged. So I think from her perspective, there's little use to be bringing up that point um, because, you know, there's much more urgent things ahead of one, everyone's health involved, but B, uh, there is still the possibility that the season can still be saved and that makes everything else a new point. But right now, players are still getting their paychecks, but they, they've also been forewarned 
uh, from Michelle Roberts, but also they have their own common sense that, you know, they, they should be bracing for, you know, some financial sacrifices, relatively speaking, um, because of the expected impact this is all going to have on, on the league and the subsequent salary cap uh, for this upcoming offseason and possibly even future years. I know the Warriors, uh, they can't really hit their practice facility anymore because of what's going on on the West Coast, but are there any teams getting together and practicing at this point? Not that I'm aware of. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned, the Warriors, because the city of San Francisco passed right. a rule that no one can be even outside unless for getting essentials, i.e. going to the grocery store. Um, their last day of having guys at the facility was Monday. Um, I know the Lakers, before this whole incident came out with the Nets, they were allowing players to come in on an individual basis to get treatment, individual workouts. They still adopted some of the sanitary practices of making sure that it wasn't large groups of players, but nothing informal. Um, so I think ever since the NBA suspended the season, no teams were having formal practices. At that point, it was all conference calls of keeping everyone in the loop, um, you know, having non-basketball people work from home, having players do whatever they can at home, whether they have a home gym or can just work out their place. And then if they need to go to the facility, they're welcome to. Um, but I think basically they're, they're abiding to whatever local government is telling them to do. So I want to be surprised that other teams wind up doing what the Warriors are doing because I want to be surprised that maybe other cities start taking a stance that San Francisco has. But that is such a fluid thing, and, and maybe that changes by the time people are hearing this. But as of now, the Warriors are the only team that, you know, their players don't have access to the facility at all. Yeah, I've seen some um, videos out there, and it looks like people aren't really paying attention to the rule. You see people walking outside, holding hands outside. Yeah, trying to be close together, yeah. The spring breakers in New Orleans and uh, Florida. <laughs> oh, that, that video was – I mean, that picture I saw was insane. I couldn't believe that's from this year. Yeah, and it's, it's very unfortunate because I think, you know, some people were looking at it through a few lenses here where – because there's been such a decrease in travel, they thought, hey, I'm getting a cheap flight here and I'm young, I'm probably not going to get it. And it's unlike any other kind of emergency situation. It's not like we're walking outside and there's like visible destruction or things that, that make you feel unsafe. If you step outside, um, it, it feels like a normal day. But I, I think the misnomer is a few things that even if you're young and less likely to die from this, you can still pass contract it. it and pass yeah. it on to people who would be vulnerable. And then it's also the idea of we are playing so far behind in containing this that the social isolation is meant to really flatten the curve and prevent whatever positive tests that are eventually going to come out from increasing even more and kind of reducing the ratio there. But, you know, Unfortunately, not many people, I won't say not many people, but some people aren't taking it as seriously. And, uh, you know, you, you just hope that they don't, they don't learn their lesson the hard way from it. Unbelievable. Um, let's shift to the lighter side of things. Uh, I, I've always said that LeBron is the most valuable player in the league, no matter who wins the award. You actually have LeBron as your MVP. Why so? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because about a week and a half ago, I was leaning toward Giannis. Um, 
But then when I saw the head-to-head matchup, I started thinking a little bit. But also, it, it wasn't even so much the head-to-head matchup. I mean, that, that is certainly a factor. Right. But I don't think I fully took into account some of the intangibles that LeBron was doing. Like, I, I, I know Giannis's body of work. His numbers are even better than last year when he won his MVP award. The Bucks had the best record in the Eastern Conference. He is unstoppable, you know, for the most part. But I think with LeBron, I, I fully factored in you know, his role on the team, the fact he's leading the league in assists. He's doing this at 35 years old in his 17th season. Um, and, I, and I factored some of these other things, but I don't think I factored in quite enough that it could have gone the other way, where as much as it's easy to say, hey, life's easy for LeBron, all he has is Anthony Davis, and right. things are great. There were a lot of new role players that even yeah. if they're experienced and they're good guys, like when you add a bunch of new players all at once, like there's a lot of times kind of a feeling out process and maybe guys not being comfortable. And I think for the exception of Rajon Rondo and Kyle Kuzma, I think for the most part, most of these role players have been the best version of themselves. And I think you have to credit LeBron to a large degree for elevating those guys and putting them in positions to succeed. And then another thing with the coaching staff, I mean, you have to keep in mind, remember last year, Frank Vogel was the third choice that the Lakers hired. Like they were trying to talk to Tyron Lue. They're trying to talk to Monty Williams and negotiations fell apart. And and I think the Lakers deserve some criticism of the fact that, you know, some of the things that led to an impasse was the amount of money involved and the the fact that they're trying to dictate to Tyron Lue specifically who to have on his coaching staff. And, you know, things have worked out where, the, the, the assistants on Frank Vogel's coaching staff have been a positive influence, but I think that, that that approach usually broke the protocol that, you know, typically you allow the coach to have autonomy, how they construct their staff. They're only being evaluated with wins and losses and how they're handling the team, right? Um, so with that uh, and the fact that LeBron had allegiances to Tyron Lue uh, in Cleveland, this really could have set up a scenario where, you know, maybe LeBron wasn't really that crazy about Frank Vogel. And I think that, you know, as a player, you should be held to that professional standard that you, you play for the head coach that's being hired and, and you be professional. But I think that he's also went above and beyond to really buy into what Frank Vogel's preaching and also to get everyone else involved. And that, then I think the other thing is the, the Kobe and Gianna Bryant tragedy. And, and, and I don't want to make this into its impact at LeBron the most because, you know, no one's impact, no one has been more impacted more than the Bryant family. And, and obviously Kobe has, has meant so much to the world and ever, so many players in the NBA. But from a leadership standpoint, LeBron almost kind of became the face of handling this. Uh, not just because of his stature, but because the Lakers organization, they, they were the biggest team that was impacted by this because uh, he played for the Lakers his whole career. There's so many, you know, people, Jeannie Buss, Rob Palenka, just team staffers that knew him his entire life that really hit home. And so I, I think LeBron really played a major factor in helping the whole organization heal. And, you know, that's not to say anything negative about Giannis, but, you know, LeBron was put in that position to handle it really well. And that's a form of leadership. And so I was very well aware of all those intangibles, but after the matchup against the Bucs, when my brain was kind of 
going back and forth here, I think that triggered a little bit more and that caused me to, to change my sentiments a little bit. Totally agree with you on your Kobe point. And to your point about coaching, many had Jason Kidd penciled in already as the Knicks coach, and now we don't yeah, hear yeah. about that anymore. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, you know, LeBron James loves Jason Kidd. He, he's been a good influence. But I think, you know, this is really to Frank Vogel's credit where, you know, just the, the coaching industry at large, it is a – it is a uh, dog-eat-dog world. I mean, it's very competitive. You have, on one hand, there is a coaching fraternity where, you know, it's a networking business. Everyone's friends with everyone. It's a relationship-driven business. But there's also kind of a backstabbing element, too, where, you know, there's yeah. certain alliances that you have, and then there's certain, you know, kind of uh, territories where you wonder, okay, is this assistant have my best interest, or is this coach on another team? have my best interest. And so th those things aren't fabricated, but I think, you know, Frank embraced this idea of having smart people on his staff and, and he's tapped into that. And I think that he's also won the respect of the coaching staff and his players that, you know, he's the real deal. I mean, at the end of the day, Frank has had extensive coaching careers at, with the Indiana Pacers, the Orlando Magic. Um, he, he, you know, he knows what it takes to run a team and he, and he's proven himself with his work ethic and, and just being prepared that he, he's been respected. So I, I think at the end of the day, if Frank wasn't doing his job well, like maybe that would have been a reality, but, but I think it's also to a credit that he embraced kind of the win-win the element of that. And then also showed that, Hey, he is the right guy for the job. Right. Agree 100%. You had Brandon Ingram as most improved. Agree with that as well. He made such a huge leap as a shot maker. Efficiency got stronger as well. What stood out about Brandon's game to you this season? Well, I mean, he's on, he was on pace for career highs across the board. I mean, points, rebounds, out you know, three-point shooting. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to say he's this, like, new player because if you look at his numbers – following the all-star break, it was his best numbers of his career at that point. So, yeah. you know, I know the beginning of his time playing with LeBron James at the Lakers, it was, it was an adjustment and something that he wasn't quite used to during his first two years in the NBA with the Lakers. But I think he was on the path of playing well with LeBron. And, and you know, my time at least covering his rookie season there, I never got the sense that he was overwhelmed with the expectations or – was too consumed with the LA distractions. Um, I think he was, you know, a young player growing into himself and he was trying to figure out, you know, how to be consistently aggressive and find his niche, but he had all the tools. So I think a little bit is kind of a natural progression for him and him blossoming, but also I think this environment allowed him to grow a little bit more organically where, you know, especially with Zion Williamson's injury to start the season where he missed the first 44 games. At that point, you know, I don't think there were expectations that they were going to make the playoffs. And, and I think at that point, it was more about, okay, let's develop the young guys even more. And I think because of that, there was more kind of room to, to have more playing time and also, you know, be able to develop without – measuring what that meant for bottom line results. But, you know, since Zion come, has come back, you know, he and Brandon have been a really good combination. And, you know, Zion and Brandon, I think, are the, are the primary reasons why, before the season was suspended, why they, you know, had an outsider's chance to sneak in as an eight seed. 
Yeah, I like the fit between Lonzo, Zion, and Brandon. Yeah, it's great. It's, it seems very seamless. Everyone knows the role well. Yes. You know, Lonzo and, and, and Zion play the pick and roll well together. You know, Brandon, you know, I, I feel like he has a lot of tools to deal with where, you know, sometimes when you're a jack of all trades is the old, old adage that then you're a master of none. But I think yes. that he he's going to be morphing into the opposite where he has all the tools to be a really complete player. So I think with that, he is another added playmaker that can play off of Zion well. And then also, you know, um, he can create his own shot. So when Zion's getting double teams and a lot of attention, um, Brandon's a hell of a decoy. And it's some, he's a guy that you don't want to leave open because he can, he's not afraid, even with how thin he is, he's not afraid of contact and driving the basket. And he has a pretty good outside shot. So yes. um, they, they, they play off of each other pretty well. Yes, and he got a lot stronger as well. Um, Nick Nurse was your coach of the year. I'm assuming a contributing factor to this pick was his success despite Kawhi's departure. Yeah, uh, Kawhi departure, Danny Green to a lesser extent. I mean, look, I, I think, you know, this is a credit, obviously, to, to the, the Raptors front office that, you know, when they constructed the roster and they took that gamble of getting Kawhi Leonard, it wasn't a bad – it wasn't like the equivalent of um, – you know, what the outcome would be if, if Kawhi were to leave, then all of a sudden you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? Um, they, they, had a, they had a stable uh, set of continuity in place where they still had Kyle Lowry, Marcus Saul. They had a pretty good bench. But with that being said, there, there were a lot of injuries that overlapped during the season, and Nick Nurse was able to make it work with 15 different starting lineups, and there was even a stretch – from January to February, where they won 15 games in a row. So even if they had the talent and depth, the fact that there were so many, you know, different lineups and guys coming in and out of the trainer's room, uh, all signs show that that is a, uh, you know, sign of good coaching as well. What's your thoughts on the rookie of the year race? I think it's pretty clear. I mean, job ja Morant yeah. deserves it. Um, I'm not one of those guys that say, hey, Zion Williamson missed 44 games. He doesn't deserve to be able to win. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying this more of John Morant has been playing so well and he had a full season's body of work to do it, where say it was Zion and John Morant wasn't there. I think Zion should have the chance to win, even if he missed 44 games, because he's been that spectacular. But I think Ja has been, you know, just a complete player where you've seen a lot of different examples where he can kind of give a dose of everything, of playmaking, outside shots, and fun highlight reels, um, especially for his age, a good locker room leader. And I think the good sign is he he is a hard worker. Maybe that sounds basic, but – you know what? And I don't, I wouldn't even say professional basketball, but like in all, all walks of life, a work ethic is a skill. Yes. And for him, he doesn't just work hard. He works smart. And I think because of that, his career trajectory is going to accelerate faster because there could be a lot of young guys that are getting by just off of their talent and Hey, they can make a highlight reel here or there. He's getting by because of that and more. And so I think, you know, when you've seen him get more attention against defenders, and I think more down the line, like he's going to become a more sophisticated player. 
And I think that also is a window into his attitude that like, just because he's the number two pick doesn't think he has all the answers and he's, you know, his, you know, what does it stink? Like he wants to learn and, and, and uh, you know, he made it a habit of, you know, having consistent workouts, watching film with the coaching usually. So he, they can point out very specific chapter and verse, Hey, you're doing this well, you're doing this incorrectly. Let's, do this to fix it and some guys don't do that and they just kind of go through the motions and film sessions and say yeah yeah okay whatever here it's the opposite like he is a pure sponge and and that's gonna only make it even stronger last one before we get out of here mark uh dennis schroeder six man does this feel like a team award to you uh dennis has always been an underrated player in my opinion what have you made of his play and okc as a whole yeah, um, uh, certainly. I, I think it's chicken and egg. I mean, it, yeah. it's a uh, you know, Sam Presti uh, deserves a lot of credit that you know. I think if you were a normal GM, maybe this is a rebuilding year after losing Russell Westbrook and Paul George all in one off season. Um, but he got the right assets in return, and also they got a they got to thank their lucky stars that Chris Paul had been healthy up until this point, which was not the case the last few years. So he is, you know, the best version of himself. Um, But I think also, you know, Dennis Schroeder has been a guy that has made the best of what his fit is where, you know, he's embraced that bench role. um, He's aggressive. He knows how to fit in different five man, five man groups that Billy Donovan's experimenting with. So by early in the season, he was always the guy in crunch time. And, you know, you can make the case for Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, but at the end of the day, the Clippers had been inconsistent this season up until this last month. And, you know, Kawhi and Paul George, their overlapping injuries and absences play a large part. But I think, you know, you, when you account for the fact that they're still on the roster, frankly, the Thunder just didn't have as much to work with as the Clippers did. So uh, that's where I handicapped Dennis one in it. Mark, great stuff. Please be safe during these challenging times. But before you get out of here, can you let us know where we could find you? Yeah. Um, Twitter's Mark G underscore Medina, M-A-R-K-G underscore M-E-D-I-N-A. Instagram, Medina Syracuse, and not to my alma mater, so it's Medina, M-E-D-I-N-A-S-Y-R-A-C-U-S-E. And I'm one of the NBA writers at USA Today, at USA Today. so you can go to usatoday.com. You can even, you know, get the paper subscription. We still deliver. So, you know, maybe especially in these times that we're in where it's about, you know, social isolation and not going out and, you know, maybe just for your own mindfulness as much as we're all in this, you know, interconnected mobile world that maybe it's good to take a detox from that. So maybe now is the time to, to get a paper, right? So Most definitely. Uh, that's, also, that's also available there. Mark, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Talk soon. Yeah, talk soon and want to wish you, uh, you know, the most important thing as well with, you know, good bill of health and, you know, hanging in there and plowing through given these uh, weird set of cards that we've been dealing with. Most definitely. Really appreciate you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Combo's Court and big shouts to Mark for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, let me know how you feel about the show right in the comments section of your Apple podcast app. Rate and review wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Be on the lookout for episode 147. Combo out.